Dr. Luis Sandoval is accomplished in the fields of mental health and spiritual warfare. A medical doctor, board certified in neurology, psychiatry, and family medicine, he is also a psychiatrist for the Roman Catholic Diocese of Orange Ministry of Healing and Deliverance. Now, Dr. Luis Sandoval. All right, folks, well, welcome to Virgin Most Powerful Radio. You're listening to the Dr. Sandoval Show. Hope everybody's having a great Lent so far. Let's go ahead and get started here at the top of the hour with an Our Father. Great prayer for Lent. It's really been kind of the prayer I've been focusing on during Lent because we got to remember that we are being taken care of. We do have a Father, and as we unravel the Our Father, which we have in previous shows, one of the things to consider is it's such a complete prayer. You know, Jesus never minds words. He taught us the prayer. He taught us the way to approach God the Father. And if we really think about the words, let's think about the words as we pray it, we start to realize, man, there's a lot in there. There's a lot that we're asking for, and there's a lot that is being asked of us. But that's true of any good relationship, of any good family. Let's go ahead and get started here. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. You know, what's interesting when you look at the Our Father, when you look at how it's laid out, I don't think that there's any um, coincidence as to the order of things either, uh, as to the order of the prayer, as to the order of what we're asking for. Uh, it's an interesting prayer in that way. If we, I mean, let's just, let's just look at it from top down because one of the questions we have for this show is, how's your Lent going? And how is forgiveness going during Lent? We know it's a time of penance. We know it's a time when we're supposed to be getting closer to God. But where does forgiveness come into play there? And so let's look at the Our Father. Let's just break it down. The order of the Our Father, the first sentence, it's we address the Father, our Father who art in heaven. This is like addressing the crowd. Who's my audience? Who am I talking to, really? What kind of God am I talking to? When the apostles asked Jesus, how do we pray? How do we talk to God? This is what he told him. He says, our Father. Speak to him as a Father. Acknowledge who he is, though. He is the one who is in heaven, and his name needs to be hallowed. It needs to be blessed. It needs to be respected because he is God. That being said, if I come before God, what am I doing? What am I asking for? We are great. Let me tell you, as a physician, people are great at coming into the office for a therapy session or for some sort of healing, but they're great at coming and telling me what they need. They come with an agenda. We Sometimes we say we have an internet patient, um, and that means that they've researched everything on the internet. They've decided that this is what's going on with them. They decided what their medication is. They, all I am is just a conduit for their lives. There's no consideration of the fact that, gosh, we don't even know each other, that I haven't examined them, that we haven't talked, and that I might know better than the internet because I went to medical school. There's, you know, I understand that. I'm, I'm not faulting them. I do that too sometimes. Gosh, if I need something or, or if I uh, want to get an answer to something, of course, we go to the internet. We go to the encyclopedia, old school. If you still do books, we go to books and 
we kind of research it ourselves. We like to get answers uh, by by nature. We want to learn. That's how God made us. We're curious creatures. But it's very easy to, especially during Lent, go before God the Father and say, this is what I need in my life, and this is what I need you to do for me. I need you to make sure that this happens and this happens, and I'm praying for all these things. I'm praying you to follow my will. And that is very common. It's very normal. It's very human. I mean, I'm sure I've done it a million times. But when we look at the Our Father, the very first thing is we acknowledge God the Father, and the very the next thing we do is we say, let it be your will. I have nothing in front of you. We have to acknowledge this. If this is God of the Father, I'm nothing before him. And saying, God, let your let whatever you want happen. Hmm. Where's the part we ask for ourselves? Where is there is there a part here in the prayer where we say, Hey, I'm still here though? Well, let's see. We start the next part is about asking for ourselves, right? The first part acknowledges God the Father. It's kind of like the Ten Commandments. First three commandments are how to love God. The next commandments are how to love the neighbor. Well, the second part of the Our Father is kind of like loving the neighbor, loving ourselves. Give us this day our daily bread. Now I'm asking for the daily bread. But notice that I'm not saying, this is my daily bread. This is what I want for my daily bread. This is what I think I need to have. This is the better recipe. No, we're asking God to, he himself, pick what our daily bread is, to let us know what our daily bread is. It doesn't say, give me this you know, particular type of daily bread. And of course, the daily bread we've talked about, interpreted as the Eucharist, as that is which, that which we need, um, whatever it is that he feels we need. Because you notice that, let's look at the order again. We address God the Father. We ask that his will be done. And based on that, the next part is now give us our daily bread. So whatever your will is, but support me in this, help me in this. I need nourishment. I need spiritual nourishment. I need the virtues. I need the Eucharist. I need confession. And that's where we get into the next part. This is where Lent really comes in and where Lent really hits hard uh, because I see this in therapy all the time. This is a common theme. I think it's the kind of theme that can never go away because it's something that we constantly need to work at. Uh, I'll be first in line trying to work at this. Um, but here's the next part of the Our Father, and this is this is the, the challenging part. The last part of the Our Father, I think, is tied as well. Give us our daily bread now that we're nourished, and forgive us our trespasses. Notice that after all this, after we've acknowledged God the Father, we ask him that his kingdom come, we ask him for his will to be done. We recognize that he is in charge of heaven and earth. Create a heaven here on earth for us. We ask that his will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We ask for nourishment from him. Give us this day our daily bread so that we are fed by him. And here comes the next part. And forgive us our trespasses. Well, I think that's, a, that's where we start. Forgive us our trespasses. We're going to take a break there from the Our Father, and we're going to continue the Our Father, because this is where I think a lot of people, when we come to grips with realities of situations, this is where we start to falter. Um, forgive us our trespasses. Well, let's look at the next sentence, too. It's got to go with it. Forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. It's an interesting it's an interesting, if you look at it from a literature point of view, it's an interesting forming of the sentence. Why? 
because we're asking him to forgive us our trespasses with the acknowledgement, with the understanding that we have already forgiven those who trespass against us. But forgive us our trespasses comes first. It doesn't say, and we will forgive those who trespass against us if you forgive us our trespasses. There's no if there. There's no, you know, and there's no, and forgive us our trespasses, uh, you know, because we are better than our neighbor. Because I'm not as bad as my neighbor. It doesn't, it doesn't have that in there. It has an interesting supposition here. Forgive us our trespasses. So the first part is I, I come before God and I have to acknowledge that I have sinned. I have to acknowledge that I have sinned as we forgive those who trespass against us because I have already forgiven those who have trespassed against uh, against me. I have, I've already said, hey, they are forgiven. This is a really hard part, I think, because for the most part, most people I speak to um, go through very challenging situations in their lives and have experienced trauma, have experienced pain, have experienced violence. And they ask, how can I possibly forgive this person? I can't forgive this person. Why? Because if I forgive them, that means that everything's okay. And there's a sense, I think it's a universal sense. If I forgive them, they got away with it then it's okay. Then they got away with it. It's like saying, oh, they're going to go into, into heaven and they're not going to have to pay for anything they did to me. How, how They got away with it. It's like a bank robber who, you know, steals all the money from the bank. And let's say that there was no insurance on the money and everybody's out of their savings, out of their life savings, everything they were going to do with their lives. And the bank robber goes and buys himself a mansion and nobody says anything. And people are like, how can he get away with it? He's living great. Well, this is where we have to remember. We're judging the situation by human standards when we look at it that way. If I say they got away with it, why? Well, we'll see. There's an interesting article I found. It's called, Does Forgiveness Mean the Other Person Gets Away With It? It was a great title, so it caught my eye. And it says, A Catholic Perspective on Forgiveness. Let's go through this because during Lent, this is the hardest part. I think that we can be equally harsh on forgiving others and equally harsh on forgiving ourselves. A lot of times people say, oh, sure, you'll forgive yourself, but you won't forgive other people. And that's not necessarily true because the other, the flip side of that is, have we forgiven ourselves? You know, the first part of that sentence was, forgive us our trespasses. Forgive me my trespasses. Well, God's going to say, I'm going to forgive you your trespasses, but have you forgiven yourself? Have you forgiven yourself of these trespasses? You know, I don't know. It's not, it's easier said than done. That's for sure. We're not always very good at that. But let's look at this article. I thought it was compelling. I thought it was a, a good article to to, um, to start with here, especially if we're going to talk about forgiveness. It's never easy. It says, I was once asked by a friend who was not religious why the Catholic, why the church requires us to forgive everyone. Remember, the, our father didn't say just forgive one or two people or forgive these particular sins. It says, forgive us our trespass as we forgive those who trespass against us. It doesn't qualify it. It doesn't quantify it. In fact, it quantifies us as anybody. Um, and even in the Gospels, remember when St. Peter asked Jesus, how many times am I supposed to forgive? Jesus says seven times 70. It means infinity. And then this, oh, well, after the break, we're going to continue this article. We're going to see how is forgiveness so key in our own freedom? Well, more on that, especially when we come back after the break.
All right, folks. Well, welcome back to Virgin Most Powerful Radio. You are listening to the Dr. Sandoval Show. Today's show, we are talking about forgiveness. I think it is the key to Lent. I think it is one of the, um, really the main thing that we have to focus on during Lent. We think about penance. We think about, you know, gosh, did I make sure to fast? It's Friday. Did I make sure to not eat meat? It's Ash Wednesday. Did I make sure to get my ashes? Oh my goodness. Good Friday is coming up. Now I have to do fasting and abstinence. My life is so hard. You know, we think about these things all the time. That's what I remember growing up. And that's what in school, that's all it was. It was Lent. Oh man, this is awful because in Lent, growing up, I was given, I was given my sacrifices. You know, we grew up in a very Catholic household, cradle Catholics. And it wasn't like I got to pick my penance. It was very much picked for us, you know, Hey, it's Lent, no TV. Uh, we went, we went monk style. We went, you know, holy style. It was austere no tv no fun just do your homework that's it on the weekends you know everything shut down we just pray it was kind of cool you know looking back for a kid that was challenging for sure um but it really drove the sense of penance uh home to us but i guess the question is we do all these penances does it do we ever stop to ask ourselves why are we doing these penances well, it's Lent. We're supposed to. We're supposed to give stuff up. We're supposed. To, why? What's the purpose? You know, I can give stuff up any time of the year. Why during Lent? What's what's going on during Lent? Um, remember, forty days, forty nights of preparation uh, before we get to Easter. Before we get to that resurrection. But the reality is, we're asking for penance because nobody gets away with it. Because we have to remember, I've sinned, and because I sinned, there's a, there's a punishment that's attached to that. There's something that I have to be very aware of. And if other people send, and they're not going to get away with it either. There's no way that we're going to get into heaven without at some point having to recognize what we did that was sinful and having to make up for it in one way or another. This is the key uh, to understanding, really, why do I want to forgive everybody else? And why do I want to forgive myself? Because really, at the end of the day, I just want God's mercy because he affords it to us, and because that gives me the chance to be in heaven. If this is going to be a roadblock for me, if not forgiving somebody is going to prevent me from going to heaven, which it will, unforgiveness is very, very challenging. We're going to talk about that at the end, uh, the next segments of the show, as the show goes on, because we're not done deciphering the Our Father. We still have a couple of very important lines, which again, there's no coincidence as to the order of these lines. But before the break, we were looking at this article, and the article is talking about, you know, does forgiving somebody means that they get away with it? And so this is where we left off. The article goes on to say, I agreed with the sentiment behind this question. And the question was, um, how is it fair that you could just say sorry and it would all be forgiven and wiped away? So the article starts off here. I was once asked by a friend who was not religious why the church requires us to forgive everyone. How is that fair? How could you just say sorry and it would be forgiven and all wiped away? He says, I agree with the sentiment behind the questions. I knew that he had suffered a lot and and had people in his life that would be hard to forgive for valid reasons. We all have valid reasons and we've all been hurt and that's pretty much the main reason. Somebody's offended me, somebody hurt me, somebody slighted me. It says, I also understood that this con that this conception of the church or his conception of the church was a misconception, but a very difficult one to overcome. He saw the concept of forgiveness as a lack of grave justice. And that's where we come in. Forgive us as we forgive those who have trespassed against us. Why? Because now we're addressing God's justice. And that's really the key to that sentence. 
Forgive us our trespasses. We know that there's going to be justice. We know, Lord, that I have trespassed against you. And I know that people have trespassed against me. They have a debt too. I'm going to forgive them. Forgive them as I have forgiven. Meaning that also, if I don't forgive, what's the, what's the flip side of that? If I don't forgive those who have trespassed against me, how's God going to be able to forgive me? Because we're saying, forgive us our trespasses in the same measure as I have forgiven other people. In the same way, forgive me too. And Jesus is going to, God, the Father is going to say, well, how have you forgiven them? I'll be willing to forgive them as far as you forgive as well. You know, I'll forgive you as far as you've forgiven other people. That's God's justice. We got to remember we have to go through that. The article goes on to say, but forgiveness is a tenant of our faith. When Jesus was dying on the cross, he said of his executioners, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. So how do we understand this forgiveness and how can we respond to those who find forgiveness hard? Here's the key too, you know, that, remember, whenever Jesus spoke, he never, he always measured his words. He never said more than he needed to. He never said less than he needed to. Obviously he's God. He's got the wisdom of God, but he's really, don't forget, he's our teacher. So he's also teaching us to be measured as well. When he says something like, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do, a lot of times it's easy to gloss over that. It's easy to focus on the crucifixion. It's easy to focus on that at that moment is the moment they were nailing him on the cross. Why does he all of a sudden say at that moment, forgive them for they know not what they do? comes from so many different levels. One of them is Jesus came to forgive us our sins. He never lost sight of his mission. That's what it is. The other one is, why does he not lose sight of his mission? Why at that moment not say, hey, I am God. What are you doing? Because that's the level of love he has for us. That's also what people don't understand. How can God allow so much evil in this world? How can God allow us to crucify him? Because that, if you look at the lives of the saints, if you look at what anybody's ever uh, garnered and, and uh, understood, one of the most important things God will respect is your free will, our free will. This is why. So why doesn't God stop me from doing all these things? Because that's the level that he loves us. Because he's saying, I love you to the point where I want you to choose me. I will let you do what you want, but I want to see how much you choose to love me. I'm not going to force it on you. Even to the point where I'm going to come down and make myself a sacrifice for you so that you can make it to heaven. That's extreme love. That's it, It's really a crazy love if you think of it that way. If we're going to look at that measure of love and that measure of forgiveness... How much are we willing to forgive? How bad were we truly uh, affected? I'm sure that we were, and we see this in therapy, but sometimes when we look back on what people did to us, when we look back on times we feel we were slighted, we can also see it from a very different perspective where we kind of lose a sense. We kind of we kind of lose that perspective and remember it in such a different way than however the situation started, however the offense started, all of a sudden it grows it festers. Why? Because that unforgiveness has been festering in our hearts and it's been growing and getting more um, infected, really, more than anything else. And here's the next part of that sentence in this article of that quote from Christ, from Luke chapter 23, verse 20, uh, 34. For they know not what they do. Why is he saying that they don't know what they do? They don't know he's God. Well, he told them he was God. They've chosen not to believe. That could be part of it. The other thing is, I wonder what was going on there uh, in terms of the soldiers, was there some kind of a frenzy, the mob mentality? They've lost sight of it. They've got a scapegoat. 
you know, it's easy for us to fall into that mom mentality and just love to accuse and point fingers. So we don't even have to focus on our own lives. But then the other thing is, these were Roman soldiers. How sinful were they? How sinful were their lives? What kind of a life were they leading? We don't know, but what we do know is that sin will make us kind of dumb. It clouds the intellect. We don't know what we're doing. We can no longer see straight. There's many reasons uh, that Jesus could have said that. They know not what they do. They're not seeing what they do. Are we able to recognize that? When somebody hurt me, were they in their right mind? Did they know what they were doing truly? Was it truly evil or were they being human? Was it a moment for them like it is for us, for anybody else that, hey, I've messed up. I would hope people take that into account. I would hope that God takes that into account, you know, as I throw myself at the mercy of the court. I've messed up. I didn't know what I was doing. How many times do we say that? In fact, the patients I see are all coming from jail. One of the measures that we have is, are they too insane to stand trial? Hmm. How do we know that they're too insane to stand trial? Well, one of the measures is, one of the questions that we ask is, could they tell right from wrong? Did they know what they were doing at the moment of their crime? It's very parallel to the way that we present ourselves before God. The question is, are they guilty or not guilty? Well, at the moment of the crime, were they aware of what they were doing? Could they tell the difference between right and wrong? Believe me, there is a right and wrong when it comes to that. Our justice system reminds us of that. A lot of people say, oh, there's no right or wrong. Everything's okay. Everything's good. No, that's not true. Even our own justice system recognizes that. But our justice system also says, if they don't know what they were doing, if they couldn't tell right from wrong, they were not thinking at the time of the crime, they still need to do some kind of a penance, but they don't have to go to jail. They have to go to the hospital. They have to go see doctors like Dr. Sandoval and go to the state hospital and put their time through there. Why? Because we understand what humanity is like and we understand that there's a lot of mental illness out there. We understand that a lot of times while people were committing a crime, they were not in the right frame of mind. They know not what they do. Let's go. They need treatment. They don't need jail. They need treatment. We have that in our system. It's the same thing. That doesn't, we didn't invent that. I don't think. I think this comes from biblical ideas. This comes from God letting us know that, hey, you don't always know what you're doing. I believe this is the point of purgatory. Gosh, you know, throw myself, throw myself before the court. I didn't know what I was doing. Okay. You're going to need some treatment. You're going to need to go to, to purgatory and get some treatment to get you back into society, into the society of heaven. That's really what this comes down to, folks. It's interesting, this whole idea of forgiveness. Well, let's see. So how do we understand this forgiveness, and how can we respond to those who find forgiveness hard? Let's see. It says a common phrase that people use when talking about forgiveness is that we must forgive and forget. It's interesting. That's an interesting phrase because I see a lot of people in therapy who say, oh, I forgive, but I don't forget. Then did you really truly forgive? You can't have one without the other. It says when this is applied to the general ups and downs of ongoing relationships, it's a helpful reminder to let go of the small things, the grudges of daily life. It's an acknowledgement that we too can annoy or irritate others and that we're all called to help one another carry out our imperfections. Let's back that up again. It says when this is applied to the general ups and downs of ongoing relationships, because remember, this is happening. Sometimes we think about not forgiving somebody who hurt us and, you know, drove by and it was a hit and run and they crashed our car and they didn't even leave a note and they're out of there. Okay. That can happen. Um, but when this is applied to the general, you know, ongoing relationships means that it's not just some stranger. What about when it's our family? What about when it's our friends that we're seeing every day? Do we hold on to grudges? 
you know, it could have been a small grudge. Well, I'm going to hold on to this one because I'm going to get them back later. That's the whole point of holding on to a grudge. You know, well, I can think of two reasons. One, either I'm thinking of revenge or I'm holding on to the grudge because I think that by not forgiving them and by holding on to the grudge, I'm making them pay for this. When in reality, they are clueless about, I don't know who's holding grudges against me, to be honest with you. The person's going to be clueless that you're holding a grudge against them. All you're doing is festering within yourself. It's an interesting place to be. Um, the article goes on to say it's an acknowledgement that we too can we too can annoy or irritate others. Do I not want to be forgiven? Do I want people to hold grudges against me? Yeah, what's the point? It's not going to get us anywhere. It's not going to move us forward in a relationship if we truly want to continue to have that relationship. Sometimes relationships are broken and for good reasons. And the people might never see each other again. Um, might It might not be prudent. It might not be psychologically prudent for somebody to see their perpetrator, depending on the extent of the crime. And trust me, when I see these patients who are prisoners, they've done some crimes where I'm like, you can never go talk to these victims again. You know, we're going to talk more about this when we come back from the break. What is it that we're doing? How do we let go of these grudges? And what does it really mean for the perpetrator that we let go of the grudges? More when we come back from the break. All right, folks, well, welcome back to Virgin Mouth Powerful Radio. You're listening to the Dr. Sandoval Show. Today we're talking about here in the midst of Lent, forgiveness. We're getting there. We're getting close to Easter. Easter's coming very early this year. Um, but as it is coming early, we got to get quick to really get into our hearts and really start to think about how can I improve myself? How can I get better? How can I get closer to God? I always I like to use our Father as my guide because that is the prayer that Jesus taught us, letting us know this is how you talk to God and this is what is expected of you. Um, and really more than anything else, am I reaching my goals of getting to heaven? Am I ready for the resurrection? That's really what we're talking about, folks. It's not easy to forgive. We're talking about letting things go, forgiving, making sure that others can get to heaven along with us, regardless of what we've done. Tough concept to consider. It's easy to consider for ourselves. Oh boy, I want to be forgiven for all my sins. I sure do. I sure hope that, you know, I can make it to heaven and that God forgives me and that God says, oh, you know what? You didn't know what you were doing. Am I willing to do that for everybody around me? Well, so let's see here. <clears throat> we're reading this article on does forgiveness mean that somebody else gets away with it? And the truth is, no, they don't. But let's see what the article has to say. It says, it's uh, when we say forgive and forget, it's an acknowledgement that we too can annoy or irritate others and that we're called to help one another carry our imperfections. In other words, you know, if I find people annoying, I can focus on that. But then am I realizing that I could probably be pretty annoying too? I'm not always going to be easy to live with. Boy, that's a tough one to consider, right? For ourselves, we always think that we're trying to do our best, which we are. And that's what I think we need to acknowledge of other people. I'm trying to do my best. I think that other people are trying to do their best too. It's really humbling when I work at the state hospital and I see people who uh, do suffer from severe mental illness. And I always remind myself when I'm treating them, you know what? This is the best they can do right now. This is what's hard for them right now. This is the challenge for them right now. So, Let's see here. The article can, goes on to say that the phrase forgive and forget can also be very damaging. It needs to be applied carefully. This is very important, actually. You are not required to keep on forgetting repeated abuses or nastiness. Some relationships are unhealthy 
and need to be moved on from. You are not expected to make up, speak to, or even see again a person who has damaged you. And that's what I was saying before. You know, it's hard if it's your spouse, if it's your uh, kids, if it's your whoever it is. For the most part, everyday life, we kind of see whoever's around us and we have to learn how to live with each other. However, it's like I tell everybody, you do not stay in an abusive relationship. That's not going to be spiritually healthy, emotionally healthy, mentally healthy. It's not going to be any healthy for anybody if it's an ongoing uh, relationship of somebody who's got issues with drugs or alcoholism, somebody who's causing domestic violence and um, you know things along those lines, people who are emotionally abusive, they're constantly yelling at you, haven't dealt with their own emotional hurt and past. And every time you're together, it's a toxic environment and a toxic dynamic. You cannot stay in that because we can't grow from that. We cannot grow in a toxic place. Um, so keep that in mind as well. It's okay to forgive and it's okay to separate when needed. Uh, and that's very important to consider. It says, and certainly when we have been very badly hurt by others, it is important not to forget. That's right, because that's what that's really saying. It's like, hey, I'm going to forgive you, but I do have to remember for self-preservation that I can't forget what you did to me because you're going to keep doing this. It's important to consider. Forgetting will not help us access the support we need to heal or bring the other person legally to justice if that is appropriate. And that's my point. Sometimes it gets that bad, right? I mean, obviously, that's what I deal with. I deal with uh, people who are going through the legal system because that's how bad their actions got. And that's that's hard. That's challenging. So the article goes on to say, so forgiveness is not about letting the other person get away with it. God cares about our suffering. He does not expect us to get over things rapidly. He honors our emotions and know it take, knows it takes time to heal. He is with all of us during our suffering. The Lord is near to the brokenhearted and saves the crushed in spirit. And that's coming from Psalms 34, 18. At the same time, God does not want us to suffer any longer than is necessary. That is where forgiveness can help us heal. Forgiveness means that we don't have to be consumed by revenge or bitterness, and that is the key. Forgive us our trespasses as we have forgiven those who trespass against us. When we forgive, we will find peace. We will find peace for ourselves as well. It says forgiveness does allow us to move on, which is not the same as forgetting. Forgiveness allows us to reach a place where we are not consumed by what has happened, where the other person's sin does not control us any longer. Forgiving someone else brings us freedom. And this is the point. This is the key. Once I forgive somebody, I'm the one who's free. If I don't forgive somebody, I'm carrying this burden. I have a chore and I'm trapped. I'm imprisoned. I'm imprisoned by holding on to this grudge. I'm imprisoned because I've decided that this burden I have to carry. And this burden somehow I feel is going to help damage the other person. And this burden somehow is going to make it so that the other person doesn't get away with it. Notice what I'm doing, whether I'm around this person or not, I am creating revenge in my heart. I'm creating wrath in my heart. I'm creating anger in my heart, creating all these negative emotions, which are very much tied into demonic psychology. <clears throat> There's no question about it. This is why at the end of on our last uh, segment of the show, we're going to talk about the last part of the Our Father. What happens if we really don't forgive and hold on to the grudges? So the next part of the article goes on to say, do people get away with what they've done when we forgive them? Perhaps we should also ask whether they get away with what they've done if we don't forgive them. Often revenge only harms ourselves. Again, that's where we're carrying that burden <clears throat> and does very little to punish the person at fault. It's not easy to realize this when we are suffering because of someone else's actions. We really have to trust God who is brokenhearted at the suffering of any of his creation. Also, wills the conversion of sinners. 
we can safely lead those hurt those who hurt us to both God's justice and mercy. In the meantime, forgiveness allows us to find peace for ourselves. That's the key, folks. You know, I don't know if you listened to some of the shows uh, the last couple of weeks, but one of the things I was talking about was a couple who uh, the husband had been unfaithful. He wanted to get right back into uh, the relationship, and he said that his wife forgave him, and she was working with him. But he thought that, that's it. She forgave me, so I'm good. So it's done. So we should get back to normal. And the reality is, is like, no, there's justice to be held here. She's not going to talk to you for a while. It's not going to be like normal. She's not going to be happy with you. She can forgive you and not be happy with you because you haven't made up for it yet. Do we get away with it? You can't just expect that you did something that serious and just everything's okay and you get away with it. It's not going to happen that way. We, and that's what we expect. And that's what we imagine too. We imagine that, oh, if I forgive this person, that's it. They got away with it. They're just going to waltz into heaven. And what is it? What about my hurt? That's really what we're asking ourselves. What about my hurt? What about the justice for my pain? What about the justice for look at where I'm at? They need to pay. That's really what we're saying. If we're not going to allow for forgiveness. And that's the hard part though, because all of a sudden <clears throat> for the spouse, for the, for the wife, is she ready to say, he hurt me really bad. I'm going to forgive him, but am I going to make him pay? By making them pay, then the relationship all of a sudden becomes not healthy either. Then we have to ask ourselves, well, why was there infidelity in the first place? Where's there, where's the relationship headed? Is there toxicity in this relationship? Did he, you know, did he was he unfaithful because the wife was also toxic in the relationship? Did he find comfort somewhere else or vice versa? If the if the wife is the one who steps out on the relationship, what was she needing in that comfort? You know, did she not find what she needed? And as a society, we're really good at saying, you know, gosh, if if the wife stepped out, the husband, he wasn't providing emotionally. You know, the husband stepped out. Well, you know, what was his problem? Um, but the reality is, as men, they're gonna we're gonna need emotion, emotional support as well. Can't be alienated. Um, the same way that the wife can't be alienated. The, the marriage is for both people. If there was a situation going on, this was and it was a, a hard uh, therapy session for me because. I was trying to really help out this husband to figure out, hey, how do you get back into it? You can't expect that you're just going to be forgiven and all will be forgotten. You got to rebuild the relationship. And that's something to consider too. If I forgive somebody, I can forgive them. I can say they're going to be forgiven, but do we still have a relationship together? No, there's still work that needs to be done. God knows that. It's the purgatory of our lives, if you will. You know, we're, we always have to constantly... Um, forgive ourselves, forgive each other, but work on building the relationship again because there was hurt there. Are we willing to let that hurt go? Eventually we have to. That's what we've got to work towards. It says, the second part of my friend's question, this was the article again, pertains to the idea of personal forgiveness of one's own sins. So that's what we talk about in the eyes of the church. He was trying to understand the sacrament of confession. The catechism says that only God forgives sins. That's true. As cast Catholics, we believe that God does this through the means of a priest. Jesus did give his priest the power to forgive sins. Um, and it's Christ's power, but he gives it to the priest. I see this very easily. I know a lot of people have a hard time saying, why do I have to go to a priest for confession, for absolution? And the reality is, is because Christ isn't here physically present with us. He is here spiritually present with us. But Physically, he's not present, and he has given charge to his priests and bishops the authority to forgive sins. You know, the sins forgiven were relieved of the burden. How does that work? Well, as a doctor, I see it as like when I tell my nurses, hey, 
I need you to prescribe this for me. Tell him that Dr. Sandoval approves it. And I gave you permission to, uh, to prescribe this medication, you know, with my, with my license for this patient. Cause we, we both know the situation We work together. I can't be here this week, but make sure that these prescriptions get done, you know, and the pharmacy or the state's going to say, Hey, you can't, you're a nurse. You can't prescribe. And they're going to say, no, Dr. Sandoval, uh, told me that I could go ahead and, and do this. And they're saying, okay, well, we know Dr. Sandoval, so that's okay. That's kind of how it works. You know, if God's not here, if Jesus is not here physically present, he's given his presence, his physical presence to the priest. Now, Jesus is physically present in the Eucharist. We cannot deny that. However, it's not in a uh, form where we can speak to him. We can hear him in our hearts. We can hear him, uh, you know, in our souls. We can, we can hear him on a supernatural metaphysical level, but he also wants us to be able to hear physically I forgive you. You are forgiven. He wants to hear our, our sins being said physically as we say them to the priest, and the priest forgives us. This is where we talk about in persona Christi. This is where we talk about the priest is there. However, he is in the presence, in the person of Christ, as he is forgiving us. So, this is why the article says, in complete privacy, we state our sins and are given absolution. The sin is forgiven, and we are relieved of the burden of it, but not necessarily the consequences. This is where do even we get away with it? Do I go to confession and say, ha, ha, I got away with that sin? You know, no problem. No, and we have that mentality, sadly. Sometimes we think, oh, it's okay if I sin. I know that I'm doing what's wrong, but that's okay because I'm going to go to confession. It doesn't work that way. Am I really sorry for what I'm doing? Or am I giving myself a pass? Am I am I just being, you know, so, so brazenly cocky about it, so brazenly, uh, you know, disregarding God's justice and, and just abusing God's mercy. We have to ask ourselves about that. Well, when we come back from the break, folks, we've got to ask ourselves also, what happens if I don't forget? What happens if I decide, nope, I'm going to hold on to the grudge. Well, stick around. More after the break. All right, folks, welcome back to Virgin Most Powerful Radio. You're listening to the Dr. Sandoval Show. Today, we're talking about how are we doing on our journey through Lent with forgiveness? Are we there yet? Are we actually saying, hey, you know what? We need to forgive people's sins and we need to forgive our own sins. And this is important to do because it's not just the right thing to do, but it's a question of, hey, if I'm not willing to forgive people's sins, why should God forgive mine? When we're looking at the Our Father, remember, it specifies, forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. But what happens if we choose not to? Well, let's look first here at what does the catechism say about confession? The catechism says, the confession of our sins, even from a simple human point of view, frees us and facilitates our reconciliation with others. Through such an admission, man looks squarely at the sins he is guilty of, takes responsibility for them, and thereby opens himself again to God and to the communion of the church in order to make a new future possible. Here's what we've got to remember. When we've sinned, by the nature of sin, we've closed ourselves off from our communion with the church. We're closing ourselves off from God. We're turning away from God. If God gave us the mandate to forgive sins, and we don't do it, then we're turning away from God as well. This is where God's saying, hey, if you want to come in here, you got to forgive sins. But if we don't do it, boy, we can't get into heaven. That's going to be a challenging spot for any of us, really, more than anything else. The catechism, and that was Catechism uh, 1455. It goes on to say, many sins 
wrong our neighbor. One must do what is possible in order to repair the harm. Simple justice requires as much. So it's important to consider, what does it mean if I do or don't forgive sins? The hard part is that we got to look at now from, I can tell you from a deliverance perspective, from when you're looking at, you know, people love talking about exorcisms and things along those lines. But from a deliverance perspective, I remember one particular case that we were dealing with that really came down to, you know, the Our Father in that sense. Forgive us as we forgive those who trespass against us. Because let's look at the next part of the Our Father. The next part of the Our Father says, and deliver us and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Now, if you look at older versions of the translation of the Our Father, it really says deliver us from the evil one. Deliver us from the likes of these little guys here, right? If anybody knows here, this is my friend Crispy, who is a ball python. Um, interesting ball pythons. I've liked uh, to study snakes a little bit, especially if that was the first representation of evil in the Bible. Interesting how they are. Deliver us from evil or deliver us from the evil one. What do snakes like to do? It's an interesting thing. With snakes, you know, one, they love to hide. That's the first thing I've noticed. You know, you'll see different things. People, breeders will tell you about, gosh, they need a big enclosure. They need to really be, you know, uh, put in a huge cage so that they have room to move around because, man, they love to climb trees and things like that. But the reality is, no, you know, you can put them in a big enclosure and, yeah, they'll climb every now and then. But for the most part, they hide in, you know, especially these ball pythons, they hide in a little bubble. They hide behind rocks. They hide behind somewhere where they feel squished. Sometimes you can't see them. You got to find them in there, especially if you have a lot of what they call enrichment and plants and rocks and things of that nature. They'll they'll definitely uh, want to uh, kind of stay somewhere away from what's, you know, from being seen. But when they're hungry, when it's time to feed them, boy, they come out and they are so ready to eat you know a lot of times some handlers will tell you be careful use a stick do something far away this guy's very docile he's very cool and he's okay when you want to you know they're docile animals here you think that you're in control of them you think that they're that they're kind but be careful because if you don't know how to handle them if it's time for feeding and you think oh, oh they're kind and you don't realize their mindset Mm, they're going to get you. Now, that's not to say that the evil one's ever kind, but the evil one will pretend to be kind. He'll pretend to be your friend as he did with Eve. Oh, did God really tell you that, you know, you weren't supposed to eat of that tree? Come on, you're going to be like a God. That's really what it comes down to. I'm your buddy. I'm going to tell you what's going on. This is really what we're saying. God, deliver us from that. Deliver us from the trap. You know, lead us not into temptation. Don't let me be, really what that means more than anything is, don't let me be tricked by the wiles of the evil one. Don't let me be tricked into believing that, oh, there's nothing wrong with the fruit of the tree. You can eat it. That's what's really what's going to happen. Don't, don't let me be tricked by that. How am I not going to be tricked by that? Well, what was the sentence beforehand? Let me forgive. If I forgive, that'll be good. I'll have a clear mind. I won't have sin on me. But the reality is there was a case where a woman was saying that she was feeling oppressed, that she was actually feeling, at some point she was saying that she was feeling like she was being scratched and that. So, you know, there's some vexation going on. Um, she said these marks came up on her and she came to the deliverance session and she said, uh, you know, I actually I did the interview before the deliverance session. And I said, well, what's going on in your life? You know, you take a history. Is there anybody who hurt you, who harmed you, who upset you? 
And she said, yes. And she told me about her neighbor who had done something to her and had uh, taken her, um, you know, uh, uh, I think it was some of her property, something along those lines. The bottom line was, she said, and I'm so mad at them. And I said, well, are you holding a grudge? And she said, yes. I said, have you forgiven him? She's like, I can't. I will never forgive him. And I said, well, that's where the problem is. Why? Whoa, watch out there, little guy. Why is that a problem? Why is that where, where the problem lies? Because remember I said, this snake will, it'll just chill out. It'll be in a little bit of a corner until you give it food. Until you bring out something that's tasty for it, right? Yeah. And they also don't hibernate. They do something that's called brumation, which means that they don't sleep. They actually lie awake waiting for the right time to come out when they sleep. They're never asleep snakes. It's an interesting, interesting that that was the first representation of evil in the Bible because if they brumate, they're always awake. They're just waiting for the right time to strike. You know, bears hibernate. You can say that they sleep. Don't poke the sleeping bear, but the snake never sleeps. So it's interesting. Evil never sleeps. Interesting that that was the representation. And when the food is out there, it's going to strike. Well, I'll tell you what, folks, unforgiveness is tasty, tasty food. It's It comes out, it's like you're putting out the best morsel of food you can possibly put out for this guy. And you know what happens at that time? They will, this guy right now, he's okay. He's not hungry. He's already eaten a few days ago. He's not going to, I'm not thinking that he's going to strike me. I'm not thinking he's going to do anything. But if I put some tasty food out for him, when it's time to uh, eat, he doesn't care who I am. He'll strike. He doesn't, he does not recognize me. He recognizes his tasty food. The way, you know, the snakes, I'm not going to hold it against them. It's part of creation and they're, and they're beautiful animals, actually. Um, you know, God made all of them. And you can say, well, Dr. Sandoval, yeah, but a snake represents the devil. Well, so does a lion. If we look at what St. Peter said, you know, he's a prowling lion. He's a, he's a roaring lion ready to strike, right? The devil, if he's also appeared in many forms of nature, uh, to saints, he appears as, you know, ravenous dogs. He appears as wolves. He appears as a goat. So many different representations because evil is animalistic. It brings us down instead of divine, instead of leading us to the divine, it leads us to be more animalistic in nature. And so one of the challenges is, you know, what do we want to do? If we're not going to forgive, we become kind of animalistic too. We start to become the prowling lion. We start to become the sneaky snake. We start to not rise to the level of divinity, but really go down into the depths of being much more primal being much more with the animals. And that's the challenging part. Deliver us from evil, you know, deliver us from the evil one. Lead us not into temptation. Let me be smart. Let me not be tricked into believing that, oh, you know, if I don't forgive this person, they're going to hurt. They're going to be in pain. Well, this lady was going through all these different things. She wasn't willing to forgive. We brought her into the session. We, we wanted to uh, make sure that we gave her some form of spiritual relief. But the reality was, and even the priest told her, he said, well, here's, because I gave him the history, and I said, look, here's the situation. She's not doing well. She's possibly being attacked. Um, but the issue really is she's holding on to unforgiveness. She's creating some juicy fruit for the evil one. She's creating some a wonderful meal of unforgiveness that the evil one's going to attack. There's no question about that. And we tried to pray for her, and a few sessions, it was okay. But it really didn't work. It wasn't working. She wasn't willing to let go of the uh, grudge she was holding on to. And that's where really more than anything else is where I say we don't realize how much not forgiving traps us. 
Because if we're not willing to forgive, if we're not, now we can recognize that somebody hurt us. We can recognize that somebody was at fault. We can recognize that we weren't at fault. However, once we choose not to forgive, now we're at fault too. If I'm going to hold on to that, if I'm going to wish ill on somebody else. If I wish bad on somebody else, who thinks that way? Does God think that way? No. Do the angels think that way? No. Do the people in heaven think that way? No. Do the people in purgatory think that way? No. The only people who think about doing harm and evil and wishing evil on other people, that's hell mentality. That's a psychology of hell. There's no question about that. And all of a sudden, we're going to become psychologically compatible, as Father Ripper says, with the evil one. That's really what they want you to do. They want you, the, the demons want you to start thinking like them. They want you to start acting like them based on how we think is how we're going to act and it's how we're going to feel. It's no surprise. It's true in psychology when we do cognitive behavioral therapy. You know, we talk about thoughts, feelings, and actions. It's the same for the soul. You know, what we think, how we do, what we do in our physical world, that's going to affect our spiritual lives. That's why, if you notice, when we go to confession, we got to confess what we did physically that affected our spiritual lives. So if I'm not forgiving, if I am choosing to not forgive, I'm causing much more harm to myself than to anybody else. Holding a grudge is not going to hurt anybody else. It's going to hurt me. Why? Because it's going to create food for the evil one. It's going to make it so that I start thinking like the evil one. It's going to make it so that I'm susceptible to the suggestions of the evil one. And all the evil one's going to do is strike and strike venomously and hurt us and make it so that we believe that we're right, right? That's lead us not into temptation. I think that that's a temptation that we're saying, lead me not to believe that I'm right when I am not. Um, when I'm wrong, or when I realize that, yeah, even though they wronged me, I got to forgive them because open my eyes to the greater good. Don't let me feel like, you know, gosh, if I hold on to the scrudge, it's going to hurt them. I think this Lenten season, that's the one thing that we want to um, really focus on is how can I do my penances in a place where I can learn to forgive? Catechism goes on to say, many sins wrong our neighbor. One must do what is possible in order to repair the harm. Return stolen goods is where we have to recognize that we what we did was wrong. Return stolen goods, restore the reputation of someone slandered. Ooh, that's a big one. Pay compensation for injuries or simple justice requires as much. And that's the Catechism 1459. So here's the other thing. In the midst of our unforgiveness, are we being kind to the other person or are we spreading bad rumors? Do we lie? You know, it's interesting to consider. Hopefully in uh, this Lenten season, we can restore reputations. We can find something nice to say about people, regardless of how badly we feel we've been hurt. We can hopefully uh, not fall into the wiles of a sneaky snake who's going to try to convince us that we are right and that we are justified. Well, until next week, this is Dr. Sandoval saying, let's think about forgiveness, let's keep it Catholic, and let's have a great lunch of good fasting and penance.